0: That's the biggest one tonight. On the road. and bang, 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 bang. It's gone. Welcome to Stump's.
1: Great to your company on this Saturday evening. Stumps for one more week. And, boys, there's plenty to get through. Tristan Fernanda back in the host chair, filling the void for Darren Parkin. Merv's gone AWOL, so we've brought in the big guns to replace him. I'll get to that in the not-too-distant future. We're going to hear from Simon Dool in about 10 minutes' time on the Kiwis' preparation for this one-day series. A fascinating insight from a man by the name of Doug Ackerley. He's written a book called Front Foot, the law that changed cricket surrounding the front foot no ball rule. And he'll uh, join us in about half an hour's time as I welcome the one and only Rodney Malcolm Hogg back to the Stumps Studios. Hoggy, good to see you. What a pleasure to see you, Tristan. And I bet
2: you Merv's off fishing. I'll bet you.
1: <laughs> Great to be here, mate. Uh, how have you been, Hoggy? Because you're yeah, looking no resplendent. You've ha- had a hit of golf, and I know we've spoken about your golfing battles over the journey. How are you hitting them nowadays?
2: No, 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 good. Uh, the right hand dominates. Um, every time I play a bad shot, I think the right hand's taken over. It's like playing with the demons.
1: Somehow I think you'd be a bad pupil. You've sought uh, some teaching and things like that, but <laughs> I, I just, no I think frustration would <laughs> get the better of you as I wind back to the time you got run out and you, you were fed up, the stumps were shattered and... Yeah, Hoggy, do you have the patience for golf?
2: No, there's no relationship between cricket and golf, except I was a crappy batsman and an average bowler, and I'm a crappy golfer. So that's probably, a, there's a, there is an analogy there. Well, so let's
1: get to what you're good at, and that's analysing cricket. Want to hear your take on these comments by Glenn Maxwell regarding Matt Wade. Yeah, that's probably a little bit painful at times. Um, yeah, I, I think probably
3: batting below the wicketkeeper is also a bit painful as well. Um, I think we keep a review batting at seven, unless uh, you've got you're trying to squeeze an extra bowler into your lineup. But um, I've been just trying to bat wherever I can and, and try and make
1: as many runs as I can. I, I think I got a hundred from number number eight for Victoria. That was Glenn Maxwell at a press conference in Sydney yesterday. It didn't please the Aussie hierarchy. <laughs> He's since been fined by the leadership group. Mm-hmm. You've done a bit of research on some of those pertinent stats.
2: Well, I've done a bit of research. He's having... I didn't know. But you can't always tell now. With so many forms of the game, backwards and forwards, Trish, and I was just starting to get into the test uh, cricket, which was beautiful. Now we're going into some one days, and then we'll come into the big bash, and and we're in the Matador Cup. So I can't get a, a gist on who's really playing well and who's not. I know Cameron White's playing beautifully. But Maxwell's doing quite well, but you would have thought at the same time, I'm not sure, are they playing on the same team uh, on Sunday up in Sydney, or are they in, is Maxwell playing for New Zealand? And um, Australia and Wadey's playing for Australia. I'm not sure because just it sounded like an opposition. Uh, <laughs> it didn't sound like teammates,
1: did it? They didn't sound well, like far team from buddies. It. There's no love lost there.
2: And I can't remember. I reckon Gilchrist opened the batting for Australia in in one day games. And I think he was a keeper. So I'd, I've never read anywhere where the keeper's got a bat at seven. So um, he had to be fined. And um, I would have thought um, you know the Vicks have pulled him across the line a little bit this year. I had a little bit of a chat to him about just um, well he missed some- out,
1: of course, in the first Shield game. Here's what Darren Lehman, interestingly, had to say as he was seething post that Maxwell press conference. No. Because
4: no, he, ma- he did make 100 for the last sort of two years, I would think. You, you need to make 100.
1: It was a fair clip when asked uh, whether he was in the selection mix for any test matches this summer. Um, Well, I I didn't quite... It Was that tongue-in-cheek from Darren? I didn't understand what he was saying there. I was just saying, he hadn't scored a century in two years, so he certainly didn't warrant selection, despite uh, Maxwell himself putting his best foot forward, suggesting that he's the man and belongs in the side.
2: Well, Maxwell's a sort of like... He's in the top five or six with the most talent in Australian cricket. Let's face facts. He's got so much talent to burn. Uh, He bats in all different spots. We saw him get that when he got a test match... um, Uh, And Clark made him bat at three uh, uh, over in the UAE. So that was crazy stuff. Um, He bats all over the place. So in in fairness to him, I would say, if I was Maxwell, I'd say, well, what about giving me a go? But I'm not going to say that to the captain in a press conference. I'm going to just be saying to the Victorian selectors, what about letting me play in a spot? Um, and give me a bit of a chance to play for Australia. Because he is a talent, and, and really, when you look at the depth of our spinners, we need him in the subcontinent, whether he's the, you know, the third spinner. We're not going to go any good against India, uh, but certainly he, he batting at six and being, say, our third spinner gives us some sort of a chance. But he's certainly the most talented, and we're watching time go by sometimes, and you, you know time goes by pretty smartly. And uh, Maxwell's been around for a while now. Um, but, we know, but we keep saying he's a superstar. We keep saying he's a test cricketer. But because he's played the, the T20 form of the game, he's a confused batsman. We don't want to see reverse sweeps in test
1: matches, please. But that's just how he, that's how he operates. I want to go back to your earlier point about the timing of this one-day series. And in, in this show, when we've done it together, we've always paid great respect to international series. But uh, given the the fortunes of Australia in the test arena recently... It's hard to get excited about a one-day series that sits between two test series, Hoggy. Well, we saw
2: how poorly we've done... Um, in the last ten months of cricket, and we saw how poorly we did against South Africa. So I would have thought we'd like to see our batsmen just being able to improve their own abilities. You know, being able to play against the swinging ball. This little series is one they've said we're doing this every year. We're going to just chuck it in, no matter what. And I would have loved to see us play another Shield game on top of the. Uh, we've just made a lot of changes in the Test arena. We made five changes in the, into the third Test match. So there's um, there's 17 blokes at least to have played. For Australian three Test matches this year, we're going to see later, uh, early next year when the T20 and where some guys go to India, Now will be the fifteen man squad goes to India. So there's fifteen Australian cricketers go to India. Then you'll have a squad of fifteen, so there'll be thirty blokes. So they, is there thirty good enough players in Australia to justify selection of the of the Australian cap? I don't think so. And if I'll ask you a question, who would you select? Um, if you had to get someone out for your life, let's say um, not a not a front line batsman. Let's say a guy like Peter Siddle. Peter Siddle, you've got. And I say to you, for your life, I want you to nominate a bowler to get Peter Siddle out. A spinner. And I'll throw, you've got to nominate Spinner. I know this is a question without giving you much, mm-hmm. of, but there's not many around. <laughs> um, you've got to get Pertus Siddle out. Uh, here's the ball. You've got to pick a Spinner in Australia. Are we and thinking
1: th- anything about selection of the Indian squad? Because I'm a massive rap for Adam Zampa. I think he would actually trouble Siddle because he actually bowls a flat trajectory delivery one that skids on in fact I'd like to see him probably flight it and uh, provide a little bit more drift and variation with the way he goes about things but I do think he's got enormous upside because he's bowling the leggies
2: well, we just, all right, you've picked Zampa, have you? Well, we just saw the Shield game against uh, South Australia and Victoria. And Zampa, who was the spinner in the South Australian side, you come to the last over Shield game. And, all right, they only got a lead, they batted badly in their second in South Australia. So they only had 220 on the board. You would think Zampa, who's picked as a spinner, you would think last over Shield game, Zampa's going to turn out at least 20 overs. And that's going to be good for him. It's going to be good for Australian cricket and it's going to, it should be good for South Australia. He bowled 10 overs, none mm-hmm. for 37. Waste of time. What's he doing there? So that's the attitude that we've got. And I'm asking you, you've, the best you've come up with, Zampa, well, he's not doing much in shield. He's a pretty good uh, T20 one-day bowler. Oh, I don't know if he's that good in the one in days. In terms of people knocking on the door, you'd have to say Stephen O'Keefe. Stephen O'Keefe knocking on the door. Pretty yeah, uh, he's all right. No, Keefe, he's injured at the moment. He's all right. He's not going to get Siddle out. Um, Johnny <laughs> Holland's bowling beautifully at the moment. He Might is. get him out. We haven't the depth. It's it's ridiculous. The depth is absolutely hopeless. And when I said about the thirty blokes um, at the same time playing for Australia,
1: I'm trying to get uh, a couple of spinners. Lyon, um, Holland. O'Keefe, yeah. You keep racking your brain, Hoggy. We'll go off to a break. If you'd like to get involved in the Cookaburra Cricket Open line, if it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team Kookaburra to get involved on social media. one 2355 48 Rodney Hogg here with Tristan Fernanda on Stumps today. After this, we hear from Simon Dool. Him over with
2: pace.
1: Real pace. You're listening to Stumps. And it's great to have you with us on this Saturday edition of Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda here filling the void for Darren Parkin and Merv Hughes. Hogg, we speak about Australia having a one-day series in between two test series. Uh, New Zealand's also had this one-day series thrust upon it after a test series victory over Pakistan. One of their respected commentators and former fearsome men in the cricketing arena, is Simon Dool. He's always generous with his time. He had the opportunity of catching up with Tony Leonard and Adam Cooney on Sports Day around Australia. They started by asking him that sensational test win recently over Pakistan. Was it simply New Zealand's brilliance, or was it Pakistan's uh, batting that was indeed woeful?
0: Yeah, it was It was a little bit of both. I've got to say they were um, indifferent throughout the morning, I thought, Pakistan. If they were had any... Chance of chasing that total down. They needed to be a little more aggressive through that morning uh, session and, mm. and the lunch, the lunch session as well. And they just left themselves too much work to do. I thought, um, you know, we, we saw Azar Ali dig himself into a hole in, in Christchurch as well in the first Test match, and probably got his team into a bit of a hole. So um, I, I think New Zealand were very good after tea. I think they bowled, um, you know, they bowled with some real purpose, particularly uh, Neil Wagner when he when he got his opportunities towards the end. But um, Pakistan, to me, were certainly pretty soft at, at, at times with some of the dismissals. They were, um, you know, got likes of Eunice Khan and guys like that. I mean, Misbah in the first test was was poor. Eunice was poor throughout the two tests. Um, and those are the guys you need to stand up in situations like that, whether you're trying to win a test or whether you're trying to save it. So, fifty fifty on the on the New Zealand good and Pakistan poor side. I think
5: before we start, Adam will specifically ask you questions about. Obviously, the one-day squad that's coming out here, and we know they're going to be belters of one-dayers. Just um, what is life like for New Zealand cricket after Brendan has uh, left the building? It's calmed down. Um, it's a bit quieter. <laughs>
0: I think that's that's safe to say. Um, look, he left, a, he left a mark on this team, I think, and he left a, a style of cricket that probably New Zealand want to try and play. It's not always going to work, I don't think, but... Um, you know, we we probably lost our way in, in world cricket. We lost our identity. We we tried to follow um, Australia, I think, in some ways uh, back in maybe the the 2000s. Uh, we tried to follow England. We we tried to do things that other teams were doing instead of having our own identity. And I think Brendan gave New Zealand that identity. It didn't always work, and he he'd be the first to admit that it wasn't always, you know, um, spot on. But I think it, it just gave New Zealand the style of cricket to try and play. It was. It was pretty aggressive, but um, but also, you know, it was it was nice. I think it was probably, you know, some people called us the nice guys of world cricket. I don't think we're entirely that. I think we've got some mongrel in us, in us here and there. But um, you know, he left us with a style of cricket that we we now quite enjoy watching and enjoy trying to play.
4: Let's get stuck into uh, some talk about this series. Uh, obviously, the 14-man squad just been announced. Some injury concerns. Trent Bolton, Martin Guptill being past fit to play. Just give us a little insight on the on the squad.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a squad without um, you know without Ross Taylor. It, there's not a lot of experience through that middle order. I think that would be the, the big key. If if Martin and Kane Williamson, and Tom Latham aren't doing a bulk of the run scoring, uh, I'm not sure where the runs are going to come from through that middle order. But what I'd like to see us do is, is probably play uh, a Colin Munro at four, uh, De Grandholm maybe at five or six uh, around you know, Nichols maybe, and then and then so play a bunch of those all rounders in that middle. I mean. For those of you who haven't seen enough of, of Colin Munro, he's a very powerful striker. Um, De Grandholm very much the same, in the same mould. So I'd like to see New Zealand maybe take some risks and play those guys in that four, five, six role and Mitchell Santner at 7 uh, and then and get the seamers in after that. So um, that would be how I'd like to see it happen and I'd like to see us be quite aggressive. Um, whether that will be the case, I'm not not sure. But uh, that's exactly how I think they should be playing. Um, with Bolt back, um, you know, after the knee, knee injury, he missed the last test match. That's always mm-hmm. a bonus. Him and Sal have been very good for us, um, you know, in the last couple of years. So that's decent. We're, we're unleashing Lockie Ferguson. Boys, keep an eye out for, uh, for the big fella from Auckland. He's, um, he's capable of bowling at 150. I wouldn't say he's a, he's a genuine 150 clicks all the time, but he's certainly capable. And um, he's been known to hurry a number of batsmen around the New Zealand first class seen up um, quite a lot this year, so he, he's coming over with some form and, and with some pace and some games behind him, which is good.
4: Can you see him in the starting lineup?
0: I can see him playing one of the three, definitely, possibly two. Um, it just depends a little bit on what they try and do with Todd Astle. I, I think it's um, it's pretty harsh on on Ish Sodi. Ish missed out on this uh, side, and he was one of the players of the of the T Twenty World Cup for us in India, so that was tough. And last time Australia played New Zealand, I think in Hamilton. Um, Each said he was man of the match, so pretty harsh on him being left out. It just depends on what they want to do with um, with Todd Astle. Uh, I, I, Sydney doesn't turn anywhere near as much as it used to, so I wonder whether they'll play him in Canberra. I don't think so. Melbourne might be the one place to play the leg spinner with the bigger boundaries and a little more, um, you know, just a little more room for him to, to work his way in. So. I see Lockie getting one, possibly two of the games. Um, and, and, you know, just in and around Trent Bolt and Tim Sally, they'll mix and match a little bit there.
4: How's his control when he bowls Lockie? Because Sean Tate used to bowl some Rockets as well, but sometimes could be a little <laughs> bit wayward. Is he uh, Is he hitting the pitch regularly? Oh,. Four
0: out of six. it's not bad. Is it? <laughs>
4: Look
0: out <laughs> for the, the other two. The thing about it is, when you're a batsman facing those sorts of guys, and we had a guy called Heath Davis back in the '90s, and yeah. you know, there's been a few around. I know. Uh, wild thing, wild thing. Tate was 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 a bit like that. You just, it's actually worse to face a guy like that than it is a Brett Lee or an Alan Donald, because at least with those guys, you kind of you knew that they knew what they were doing. <laughs> Whereas with with Sean Tate and with Lockie Ferguson and, and some of those other guys, well, you just you got no idea. They've got no idea, and, and you've got no idea, so it's even worse.
5: It's it's must be a brilliant feeling for the crowd to seeing someone bowling the hundred and fifty k rockets, but the floating for the bowlers when they get a snick and it goes for six over first slip. Just <laughs> just, just trying to get that there. I, I, we'll just take you back to the World Cup, and you can reflect on it now. Uh, they were really crazy days. Is that? Is that a sort of the lightning rod moment that New Zealand cricket has to say we deserve as a nation to be in the in the same conversation but obviously not as august as say the all blacks or or the silver ferns
0: um, I think what it did for the country was outstanding and, and you know the, the take up of um, of junior cricket last summer in particular after that World Cup was phenomenal um, you know numbers were increased I, I they were talking I think New Zealand cricket were talking almost into the 10,000 um, new sign-ups for, for junior cricket, which is just great around the country. Um, you know, everybody sort of uh, just rode the bus, didn't they, for, for about yeah. three and a half, four weeks. It was, it was magnificent. And I think, you know, both countries deserve uh, credit for how they, how they hosted it as well. I think that, um, you know, they took the games to the right areas and, and the crowds were really good. They got into it. It was just a shame we didn't quite turn up. It was, you know, I think, you know, when I walked out to the middle with the two skippers at the G last year, for that for the toss it was sort of it had that air about it. If Brendan McCullum, you know, if he could take maybe throw the first punch against Mitchell Stark, then then it was gonna be all right. But unfortunately Stark was, was on the top of his game that yeah. day and it kind of deflated a nation almost when Brendan's poles went everywhere about what, third or fourth ball, whatever it was. It um, didn't last long. you know, look it was a great ride, but um uh, you know and and a fitting I think Aussie just certainly deserved to win it, but New Zealand were were um, you know were right up there and everybody was was right behind this you know this side like they were the All Blacks or generally are the All Blacks every weekend except for uh, that Chicago game.
5: Simon, if I could just get 30 seconds, in what form is Pakistan going to lob in Australia for the Test series? Do you think?
0: I hope they're better for the run. I hope you know like a good horse. I hope they're better for the outing in New Zealand and and they perform a lot better because they were they were below par in New Zealand and I'd like to see. I'd like to think they'll be better for the uh, for the outings in New Zealand against Australia.
1: Good to hear from Simon Doole. We're very much looking forward to this Chapel Hadley series between Australia and New Zealand. Stick with us here on Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda, a great insight into the front foot no ball rule change. Doug Ackley on a book he's written. will hear from the skippers and a whole lot more right here on Stumps.
0: Welcome to Stumps.
1: Yes, a big warm welcome to Stumps on this Saturday evening. Hello to those of you joining us for the first time. Tristan Fernanda joining you and filling the void left by Darren Park. And there's no Merv Hughes, so I've got a very special co-host and we're going to introduce a guest in the not too distant future. But we have a heap to get through on the eve of the Chapel Hadley series. If you'd like to get involved, do so. The Cookaburra Cricket Open Line is open for business. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team teamcookaburra. And that all-important number, one 300 2355 as I say, welcome to my old partner in crime, a reunion of sorts. He doesn't like being called a star, but I'm going to call him one regardless. Rodney Malcolm-Hogg, good afternoon to you. Hello, Tristan. Yeah, I'm
2: looking forward to the next uh, 20 minutes or half an hour. It depends how it goes, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Fancy speaking to a wicked keeper about the front foot rule. He's 45 yards away, he wouldn't have a clue what's going on with the fast bowlers, especially fast bowlers, and he's written a book on it, I can't understand that.
1: Well, just to give people an insight into what you're talking about, Hoggy, <laughs> there's a book called Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, and... I reckon uh, the history of cricket is quite fascinating. So for the history buffs out there and for those who want to learn a little bit about the evolution of the game, we've got a very special guest joining us because Doug Ackerley, the man who has written the book, has been good enough to join us in studio and uh, we say a warm welcome to you now, Doug. Good afternoon to you. And good afternoon to you too, Tristan and Roddy. How are you?
2: Very well. Uh, there's a little quote in here. I reckon I, I would have thought it had come from Richie, but now it says, I only ever thought there was a column in the subject. Never a book, but I reasoned without Doug Ackley. The front foot law is seriously flawed. I hope that many cricket officials buy Doug's book. And I would have thought Richie Benet, because we've always heard Richie Benet go on about the front foot rule. Uh, But no, obviously it was, well, not obviously, but it was the great Ian Chappell. So very interesting. I know Ian's a a mate of Doug's, but uh, they're beautiful words from from, um,
1: Ian, aren't they? He has written the foreword. Doug, tell us, where did the idea come about and what were you seeking to
4: achieve from this research? Uh, The idea... And we're talking now how actions have changed and injuries have resulted. Not so much the ridiculous nature of the decision-making side of the law, which gets uh, Cipalli's uh, goat and (laughs) and Richie before him and Sir Donald. No, it was all to do with the changed actions. And I was talking to uh, a former Australian and Queensland swing bowler, Ross Duncan, at a coaching camp, and uh, he said, apropos, over a beer, he said, Doug, do you realise that the front foot law introduced the jump into the gather?" And that's the sort of the big Dennis Lilly leap, the Rodney Hogg mm-hmm. leap, for example. Brett Lee, uh, because under the Backfoot law, actions were side-on aligned, hips and, and shoulders aligned, and bowlers tended to skate on their back toe. So that dragging motion you,
1: that we've seen from historical footage.
4: Indeed, Tristan, and horizontal forces more than the the modern-day vertical forces, which have, have come about through the, the change in actions... And five to eight times the body weight of a bowler, on average, goes through that front foot, through the spine. And if it's malaligned, as it so often is, uh, that's where you get your stress fractures. And, of course, in the front foot, by definition, if you're coming down. There was one bowler measured at the AIS 13 times his body weight through the, uh, the force plates that Mark Portis has up there at the AIS. This didn't happen in the old days. We didn't have force plates, but biomechanists have said to me, look, yes, you're quite right, under the back foot law with the the skating on the back toe, it's more horizontal forces, much more benign on the body, and, of course, you didn't have mixed actions because up until 1989, all coaching manuals, that recently said, got to look over the front shoulder. So you've got Dennis. You look at the statue of Dennis Lilly. He's looking over his front shoulder, but the bottom half of his body searching for that front line over which you now cannot go is fairly open certainly in the gather if you look at the uh, at the statue and this is what we mean by counter rotation where the hips and the shoulders get out of sync they're not aligned side onto the target
2: it was beautiful to uh and i've got the book in front of me so a lot of people are listening won't but just to give you an Im- imagination lindwell now no one's bowled like lindwell since the front foot rule, Linville uh, so side on and on the very back toes, gliding along on his back toes. Then that was the end. Of, then the front foot. Then Dennis, obviously Dennis jumping. And then I think, Doug, the, um, there was always this talk about, oh, a bloke's breaking down injury. So let's get people more front on. And I think of Andy Bickle. Andy Bickle changed himself from a side on to a front on bowler. So that, that, it's just been a... Um, Uh, are changing as we've gone along. I don't know what Spofford's was like years ago, but as
4: you say, the front foot rule has made um, change, the evolution of fast bowlers. Yes, Rod. Actually, we we do not uh, know what they were like in those old days. There's a great book by Beldham and Fry. Beldham, the photographer, C.B. Fry, the great athlete, great cricketer uh, who did the words to the book. And you see a fellow called Schofield Haig in there in 1906 with a side on and a drag. Uh, and those photos are actually in the book as well. But you're so right. It, it, the modern action, there was this tendency, because there was now a line over which you couldn't go, the the popping crease, uh, that the, the delivery stride shortened and the jump came in more often than not uh, with this mental periphery. You're thinking of the front line and this is what happened and with bowlers searching for it, slamming that front foot down more, uh, rather than skating on the back foot and it just glides gently to the turf. Mm. This is where your problems are because bowlers, particularly, you look at Peter Siddle now who's broken down twice in this calendar year at the age of 32, well past skeletal hardening and all the other things they talk about. He's broken down because he charges in and he just hasn't got time to get in a, a properly aligned position even though he does look to the right-hand side of his front arm. That is the voice of Doug
1: Ackley, who has written the book, Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, on the front foot no ball rule. You flick a few pages in, Doug, and we move away from the physical demands uh, that this rule brought about. I find it quite staggering in a day and age we talk so much about overrate and efficiency of the game. Up to 1962, with the back foot rule, 535 test matches. And you've actually done some researches on 20, research on 20-plus no-ball matches. There are only 15. From 1963 to present, in 1684 test matches, there are 1,662 20-plus no-ball matches. I find that quite staggering.
4: Actually, they're Richie's figures quoted by Ian. And Ian's right onto this because, of course, they're, they're talking about uh, the fact that, look, it's holding up play. You know, overs, uh, and in fact, uh, the West Indies didn't get through their overs uh, and over rates uh, were one of the blights on the game but I must point out that now that you have uh, a front line and of course side on cameras as well you're going to pick up a lot more no balls not that they're looking for it now the third umpire may be but perhaps uh, not the umpires out there but if you strictly interpreted the back foot law in fact that that changed in 1947 no longer did your back foot uh, land behind the stumps, the bowl crease, and you were home free, strictly speaking, it actually still had to be behind the bowling crease at release of ball. Of course, the umpires uh, woke up immediately. You can't watch the hand and the back foot at the same time. But some idiots changed the law in '47. So, in fact, had they called uh, no balls correctly in those days, blokes wouldn't have even got through and over. Uh, the, <laughs>
2: Doug, I know uh, you very well and I know you're a a thorough person and and you wrote a brilliant book on uh, the late, uh, great John Coleman, um, which was a brilliant book. Uh, Any sponsorship or any help with this one?
4: No, look, uh, Rod, I don't want to cry poor, but uh, you don't write it for the money. You don't make money out of books and uh, even publishers. I'm damned if they make any money out of books, books, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, novels and stuff like that. You do it because you get onto something that someone else hasn't written and you think, oh, this is important enough. Uh, You should do this. And, yeah, you do it for the satisfaction, which if you're a sad old bachelor like me and you live simply, you can probably afford to
2: (laughs) Well, Dougie, uh, I don't need to know what the cost of the book is, um, but I'd like to know your your actual hard-earned, uh, well, hard-spent expenses, like you've travelled all around Australia. Did you leave the shores of Australia to interview anyone?
4: Yes, I went to uh, England and went through the uh, library at the MCC at Lords and went right through their archives. Their cooperation was just absolutely superb, and they've provided a number of the photos for the book too. They're just sensational, as was the MCG library here, Um, And, uh, yes, I interviewed uh, uh, Richard Hutton, for example, who was editor of Cricketer magazine in the early 90s, a former uh, England Test uh, pace bowler, and he was one of the early blokes in the early 90s to look at, uh, in the wake of Alec Bedser, the first man, to actually make a statement, hey, listen, this law has changed actions and each of them also referred to injuries. So I wanted to talk to him, and I spoke. Of course, England have been more successful in mitigating the problems of these injuries, and I've got a, a couple of theories on that. So I spoke to their uh, uh, fellow at Cardiff University, who uh, the biomechanist who... Uh, who uh, works on on their players and they seem to pick up the hot spots a lot earlier and uh, thus their players are not out of the game quite as long. Uh, I think more benign footholds too. I think it's a softer, soft, land. softer yeah. landing. And also, Rod, would you say that in Australia and New Zealand where you've had the problems, there's a more imperative for pace whereas in England, seamen swing is 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 what they, they're they looking for more so oh well as
2: lehman said he wants people bowling at over 140 in australia and um, i think it shows that people bowling about 85 miles an hour in england um they're the ones that get people out not the faster type bowler so are we talking um dougie are we talking 25 35 grand that you've spent just doing your research and
4: getting around the planet because i didn't know you'd been to england and you've been New Zealand? Did you go over there? Yeah, I I, I interviewed Shane Bond over there, a terrific yeah, bloke, a smart man, bloke. good bloke. Yep. Uh, and uh, oh yeah, can I, we get a price? Give us a little cost. We'll move away from that. Whole no, no, no. No, I
2: want to know how much he spent.
4: It's not a Doug's reluctant to tell. us. Oh no, no, not not, not at all, Tristan. Um, no. <laughs> uh, remember, I've I've self published too, as I did with uh, Coleman, because uh, a publisher won't buy. The images that you need. I've spent more than three thousand dollars on on images over and above the ones I took myself. There are sixty five photos uh, in the book. There, I've uh, paid well twelve or thirteen grand for printing. Uh, you have design. I've, I've still yet to pay my designer because he hasn't finished the ebook. Though he's a wonderful <laughs> fellow, but that'll cost more than two grand. I know. Uh, I mean, yeah, that'll be twenty grand plus. Of course, you're it, laughing. Yeah. You're smiling. It's it's, well, it's starting to add up. It, it certainly is, Rod. But but honestly, um, if this Gets a discussion going, a conversation going that draws attention to the law. And I gave a copy to Sean Pollock in Adelaide, who he and his father Peter are both very much backfoot men. They they want the backfoot law to come back in, and he's on a committee at the MCC who advise ah. uh, advise the ICC. So you know, if you wear away at it a bit, and uh, with Chipelli's help, who's who's more so uh, so on the law as a decision making thing, uh, this may end up the Doug Ackley back foot rule at the end of the day. We well, might get it
2: changed around. Your your book's uh, uh, um, an inter- entertaining book, but it's, it's very much a reference book because of the research you've done. Now, if they these administrators, and I don't know what Ian calls them these days, but I know Richie was never a great administrating man, didn't like them too much. If it gets changed, it'll be the Doug Ackley back foot rule. And
1: Doug Ackley joins us, uh, author of Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, as we discuss the evolution of the law itself and uh, the toll it's taken as far as injuries go, Doug, flicking through the book, I haven't uh, managed to get to the the later chapters as yet, but there's a chapter called Back to the Future, and you mentioned Mm -hmm. Shane Bond, and I suppose for the sake of balancing this discussion, he was a little sceptical on the injury correlation with the, the front foot law. He said, How did you, or he asked the question, How do you know that there wasn't this same prevalence uh, with the back
4: foot no ball, uh, no ball rule? Tristan, a good question, too, from a man who had surgery, too, like Bruce Reid, and, and uh, people who had surgery. I mean, that is seriously bad. I don't think anyone's had surgery in the world since Matt Henry, who's come back now uh, OK for uh, New Zealand. I, I don't think they'll go down that path. But, no, Shane was uh, very much a devil's advocate, and it was good because he he, he took an interest and I said, look, I don't know, Shane, but generally in cricket, because it's fabled for its literature, you would you would read about it. You'd know about someone who had a bad back. So I went into it as best I could, talking to Ian Meckiff, Colin Guest, John Drennan, um, uh, um, uh, Gordon Rourke and Frank Misson and all the fast bowlers from that era who still survive. None of them had a back injury. Des Hoare did, but he had an unusual placement of his back foot. But none of them also, Graham McKenzie as well, could remember any of their contemporaries having a a back injury. So then I've gone into uh, research to try to find out things and you find out that Jack Bannister, who uh, ended uh, uh, life as a BBC commentator, but he was a a very fine uh, pace bowler for Warwickshire. Jack had one. But it was an exacerbation of a congenital complaint. So mm-hmm. therefore, again, we can't really put it down to cricket. Uh, Keith Miller, they'll say, what about Keith Miller? He had a lot of back trouble. Yeah, you know why? Because he was mucking around in a, a light plane at the end of the war and had a crash. And he, he fully had... <laughs> They're going to blame that on the front <laughs> foot rule or the <laughs> well, back foot rule. He, he could have said, oh, look, you know, front foot's going to make <laughs> no difference. But if you go through, I've done my best to... to. Uh, and look, I'm open to anyone telling me, look, you've missed this bloke who. Genuinely had a problem as a foot bowler, I haven't found one. And I don't think I will, Tristan.
2: And I'm trying to think of uh, greater players than, say, Bruce Reid and and Shane Bond that were affected by by back injuries, those two are absolute megastars that their careers we didn't see the best of those unfortunately because of back injuries. Well um, in
1: the table section at the back hockey uh, Darren Goff, Jason Gillespie, Andrew Flintoff listed as some who have suffered front uh, foot stress fractures uh, associated injuries. Well I know that Flintoff's front foot didn't go in the right direction
2: for a fast bowler. I don't know how he bowled fast. Flint off his front foot used to point down towards about third slip. So how he did that. So that was what caused him by having a bad knee. But the participation of the greats, you name some names there. Um, and I know Gordon Rourke. Let's just a little bit about Gordon Rock. For, for the people listening, Keith Stackpole says that Gordon Rourke was the fastest bowler he faced. And he faced Wes Hall and a few others. So, uh, But Gordon Rourke
4: was his fastest. And you interviewed... Uh, Gordon Gordon was at the launch in Sydney too along with Peter Philpott who has uh, some very good ideas about you know, agreeing uh, that the, the law change did change actions. Uh, Gordon's photographed in the book, Rod. Um, uh, it's a classic photo on debut in Adelaide, his first test in early 1959, with both feet past the popping crease and the ball still in his hand. <laughs> 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 and uh, so therefore, I mean, that, that was ridiculous. But you talked about the um, uh, famous players. Uh, Waka Yunus, I'm looking forward to meeting him up in Brisbane when I go up to the Gabba there because of course he had stress fractures and Ian Bishop, a rare example of a West Indian and Ian didn't look, I emailed to him but he didn't sort of follow up with it. I have a feeling Ian Bishop may have been coached because the interesting thing that Darryl Foster and Bruce Elliott and the guys at the University of Western Australia noticed uh, and that's when the, the 1989 book came out where they said hey we've discovered how to cure this semi-open actions, because uh, the West Indies, and I think you remember them, Rod, uh, that battery of four <laughs> <laughs> of four fast bowlers, pretty well all of them were semi-open, sort of 45 degrees with their shoulders and hips aligned, like Courtney Walsh, who was just bulletproof and bowled about 5,500 deliveries on average per annum through his career. Today's bowlers, Peter Siddle, 2,400, Mornay-Morkel, 2,300. They're not bowling. Their practice workloads are limited, but they're breaking down.
1: A fascinating insight into the front foot no ball rule as Doug Ackley, the uh, journalist and author of the book, Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, joins us Live on Stumps. We've got to get to a break. We'll come back and discuss this a little further at Stumps with Rodney Hogg and Tristan Fernanda on your Saturday. If you'd like to get involved, do so. Cookaburra Cricket Open Line. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. 1300
0: 23 55 48. You're listening to Stumps
1: most certainly are. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda today, filling the void left by Darren Parkin and Merv Hughes. We wish them well as they enjoy a well-earned rest. Doug Ackley, author of Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, is in the studio with us. And before we let you go, Doug, I wanted to talk to you about the legal ramifications or potential legalities around this uh, rule and the injury discussion that we've had. Uh, given in football codes, we talk about the link between head injuries and concussions and uh, long term
4: effect. Do you think this will open the floodgates a little bit? Well, look, um, Nathan Bracken, uh, I think, settled out of court with Cricket Australia, for example. We have a precedent uh, of legal action being taken, but that's more on an individual basis. But you've got to look at things like this, Tristan. Uh, I believe that this law has made the game unsafe. Now, if a lawyer were to read this book and, and take it, I mean, if you were Patrick Cummins's lawyer, if he breaks down again, that'll be five times and he's only 23, he's been very sanguine about the whole thing. But you'd be saying workplace health and safety, wouldn't you? Mm. I mean, for God's sake, this young fellow, um, he's put his uh, life on hold to play cricket for Australia. But do you know what's more important? 99% of the game, of course, is played at grassroots level. And a duty of care surely comes in at grassroots. You're going to have mum and dad saying, uh, little Johnny and little Jill, you're not going to play cricket. Because it's too dangerous if you're a, a pace bowler, for example. I think the rest of the game with mandatory helmets, et cetera, is not. But do you realise that Shane Watson broke down with his first stress fracture in the Queensland under-12s? That's unbelievable. Isn't that unbelievable? Mm. So you're, you're telling me he he's managed to guts his way through a career where he's been much maligned for various other injuries – But, I mean, how many good, talented young cricketers have we never heard of because they gave the game up because it was unsafe. If we revert to the backfoot law, John Harmer, pioneering biomechanist, says that actions would revert to the side on aligned actions that we had in the past. Over time, it might take a decade, as it did uh, to see Dennis's injury manifest in 73 after the law changed in his first season of competitive cricket in 1963. So
2: if Shane Watson hadn't have broken down the under 12s, he could have ended up a pretty fair sort of a cricketer, couldn't he? Um, so, in summary, What do you want to see? Now, the back foot rule, as we knew it years ago, and for people who don't know much about it, there was a drag where you landed and your back foot, you could just go past the back foot line. Surely the back foot line and nothing goes
4: past it. Yes. And what happened in between 1959 when Gordon Rourke uh, was photographed and 63, the Lord changed, they used discs the umpire had a disc. And if your drag was as big as Gordon's, Gordon's was nine feet, three metres. Uh, and so <laughs> what would happen uh, is that's between back foot landing and front foot landing. But uh, he would go and he said, oh, look, they're a bit rough on me. only went two feet over the popping crease, he said uh, at the, the launch. But of course, if if you're going to go over that distance, what happened? The umpire used a disc and mandated that Gordon had to land his back foot two feet behind the stumps behind the bowling crease and that's what I'd, I would suggest that they do now and what you'd be doing you'd be giving the umpire out on the ground the privilege of actually taking charge again and not just being there to carry jumpers yeah. and hats Yep,
2: yeah. yeah. I, I, your book launch was unbelievable the amount of people that turned up was there any un, anybody under the age of 70 at your book launch
4: how old's Brendan McArdle was he there was he? of course he was oh, he, yeah. your 64 mate, your mate Higsey was there too 67 yeah, six, 66. 66. Yeah. No, there were a couple of young people. Craig Slocum was there. You Craig. remember the bloke who autographed my bag? He, was, he played it. Dandy he? Dandenong. Yeah, right. lovely bloke. A couple of young people there, but you're quite right. Mostly just fellow travellers of mine. You know? <laughs> and we, we went straight to the London Tavern. As we wrap things up, Doug, tell us or tell everyone out there where they can pick up a copy of this book. Yeah, at, at all good bookstores, and of course uh, some of the ordinary ones as mm-hmm. well. They're stocking it, but no, definitely Dimex in town. For example, I signed some in Dimex in in Adelaide. Uh, uh, so it's all around the country. And uh, the more uh, publicity, airports. I
2: get in, you got into airports? Oh, that's hard. Yeah. That's hard to get into it's airports. is oh, oh, I'd love mm. to get
4: into airports. Were you in airports with no, your No, I didn't get into. No, it's very very hard. <laughs> but uh, no, air, all good bookstores, and if they haven't got it, they'll get it straight away because we're on uh, um, the the uh, information. Uh, database there at it's stores.
1: called front foot the law that changed cricket a perfect christmas present as we bid you farewell and thank you once again doug ackerley for coming in thank you very much tristan thanks roddy a fascinating insight into the research and to the investment into writing a book about the game we love hoggy brilliant book brilliant brilliant
2: yeah. writer brilliant man i know what to buy you for christmas
1: i've got one you haven't Yes, I have. I've got sitting right here. <laughs> oh, you just pinched that one. <laughs> Rodney Hogg up to his old shenanigans. It is Stumps all across Australia. To those leaving us, have a great weekend. Stick with us, though. A whole lot more to come as we uh joined by our Melbourne listeners in the not-too-distant future.
2: And knocks him over with pace. Real pace. And that is huge. That's
0: the biggest one tonight. On the roof. For pitch and bang. Welcome
1: to Stumps. Yes, big warm welcome to Stumps. Good evening to those of you joining us for the very first time. Tristan Fernanda here with you, filling the void left by Darren Parkin. There's no Merv Hughes either, so a familiar voice as co-host today. The one and only Rodney Malcolm-Hogg. Good to see you again, Hoggy.
2: Tristan, you being sincere? I'm always sincere, <laughs> Hoggy. <laughs> You're looking Good. resplendent. Lovely I know, to see you. I'm um, not going
1: to ask you about your golf game because I know it's, uh, it's hardly improved in the well, 18 I'd like to, to say, 24 months we've known each I'd other. I'd
2: like to say something nice about your shirt, but I can't. <laughs>
1: oh one three hundred twenty three fifty five forty eight 2355 48 Is the Kookaburra Cricket open line? If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team Kookaburra on social media. Got a heap to get through. There's been a controversy that's arisen in the past 24 hours involving Glenn Maxwell. I'm going to get your take on that. Some interesting comments made by Dan Christian in regard to the experimental nature of the Shield uh, cricket at present. And... Uh yeah, we've got a test series on the horizon against Pakistan, but
2: uh, what's experimental would... about the Shield? It's well, we'll shield, get to that a little
1: bit later on because hey. we've got a very special guest joining us, Victorian bush ranger. He's been going great guns. He's always generous with his time. His name's Chris Tremaine, and he joins us now. Chris, a warm welcome to you. Yeah, guys, how you doing? Yeah, we're extremely well. Tell us what you've made of your season to date, because looking on, it's been an absolute pleasure. We know the Vicks are flying, and from uh, all reports and having seen snippets of you in action, you must be pretty pleased.
3: Ah, uh, yeah, it, it's been um, it's been longer than uh, than I would have thought um, pre Christmas sort of season would have been. Um, you know, sort of kicked off with with some uh, Aussie A stuff in winter, and then um, a trip to South Africa with the ODI squad, and then. Yeah, back for the back for the shield and the, end, the back end of the Matador Cup. So four shield games down, and we've um and we've got up in, in each one of them. So it's been a it's been a very uh, hectic but very successful start.
2: Chris uh, Rodney Hogg here. I don't mind if you yeah. say to me up your jumper, Hoggy, because I know remember you rang me uh, a couple of years ago, and I said Chris who. So uh, fantastic on what you've done. Um, your bowling, you moved down to Victoria's, sensational for you. Is your bowling getting better and better in the last couple of years,
3: uh, yeah, it, it, it has. But it's it's sort of been, um, I guess, a bit of a catch twenty two. Is that um, when I was in New South Wales, I I, I wasn't playing very much, um, and when I played, uh, it was very inconsistent. Um, I didn't have a great deal of confidence in in um, in selection, and and um, you know, it was it was sort of it was sort of very funny. So I'd a, I'd have. Uh, when I came down to Victoria, I got a bit more consistency in selection. I was, I was playing a little little bit more frequently. And on the back of, of playing a little bit more frequently, my body got a bit stronger. Um, I started to learn a few more things, being able to, um, you know, come back throughout games and throughout um, sort of periods where you're not bowling so well or, you know, whether that be an over or a spell or a day or, um, or a game. So um being consistently um, playing and, and, and exposed to first-class cricket probably probably helped my bowling the most out of out of
2: anything. It's amazing what they expect from fast bowlers. You and your mate Scotty and went to Australia for a one-day series. Tell us how flat those wickets You're on a hiding to nothing, aren't you? You rock up to play for Australia and there's a wicket that's got nothing in it for you. It's a hard gig, isn't it?
3: Uh, yeah, it was. It was a hard gig. And, and when I came back to Australia and, and got asked to... Got us, uh, you know what I thought of it all. It was, um, you know, I said it was it was extremely difficult. But um, you know, playing for Australia isn't meant to be easy, and you'd almost be disappointed if it was. So, um, uh, when we were in yeah, South Africa, it was, um, you know, they were, they were great batting wickets. Um, you know, the,
6: the 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 grounds
3: there are quite quite small, and um, in a couple of places like Centurion and uh, Johannesburg, the the balls just fly because you're up at altitude, and um, you know the the odds are stacked up against you. But I mean, it's um, um, you're certainly not thinking that when you get given your cap and you get your, your first ball and your first over in, uh, and your first wicket in, in uh, Aussie colours.
2: Tell us about that Victorian camp at the moment. We've over well the last uh, 24 hours. We've, there's been a little bit of um, uh, trouble within the well two Victorian players, Maxwell and Wade. Um, what's the Victorian camp? You're successful. I imagine when you're winning games, it's a lot easier to have a happier change room than than if you're losing.
3: Yeah, it, it it is a lot easier to um to deal um with when you when you are winning the the change room does is is quite amicable. But um you know even when things like this arise and um and the the change room is good, it's sort of water water off a duck's back. I mean, um I I hadn't heard anything of it, and I read maybe half the article the other day and just sort of shrugged it off. And went, Oh, you know, this is it could be it could be a, a brain fade or it could be um, a little bit of Um, artistic reporting but um, you know I I didn't really look too much into it and and anyone um, anyone who who needs to look uh, further into it I I assume are so um, at the moment the the 13 guys heading down to Hobart have have been briefed on it and and, um, we all understand that um, you know Victoria is a collective effort um, winning games is a collective effort and and um, and that's where we, we stand on everything rather rather than you know sort of um, pinpointing bits and pieces that we'd prefer to do ourselves. We, we understand that, that Victoria is a collective effort. So, um, you know, and, and we're totally focused on, on what we've got to do in the next week rather than what someone might be saying or what people might be writing in uh, in the
1: media. Good to be catching up with Chris Tremaine, Victorian bushranger, soon to be renegade with the Big Bash just around the corner. Chris, I want to talk to you about the arrhythmic nature of cricketing scheduling currently because... Oh, you might have to dish out the stock standard response of oh yeah, we don't have to adapt too much, whether it's with the ball or with the bat. But uh how unsettling is it uh having to change from short form to long form at uh so readily?
3: Uh well, stock standard is probably yeah, we got we have to change a lot, but um it's not uh it's it's not great big changes. You still you still bowl the, the ball down twenty two yards of wicket, so it's um you know, all those fundamentals stay the same. It's it's more what's going on up inside your head that um, that you need to, to um, change, I guess. Um, yeah, get used to um, you know trying to, to develop different plans and different, um, I guess, uh, tactics uh, within a, a I guess a ten day period, um, and then the days leading into games um, before Big Bash starts from from Shield cricket. So it, it's a, it's a hectic turnaround, and um, and you know you're expected to to be able to go from Shield cricket to, to T Twenty cricket um, in that period, and, and um, you know people seem to do it all right. And um, you know, I guess I guess hoggy can weigh in on this, but I mean, we get we get um, you know we get a, a good salary to do what we do, and, and you, you can't really complain that that, um, that it's too it's too fast. You, you know, you, you can't really complain that you need more time to get ready to play Twenty Twenty cricket. You just you're told what to do. You grab the ball and you go and
2: do it. I wish I could relate to it when you said the good <laughs> salary. But um, Eddie Had Stadium, an interesting uh, the Renegades. Eddie Had Stadium, I thought would have been a, a difficult ground for a spinner, pretty narrow. Um, you've gone for Hognerine and Doherty, so you've got three spinners in your setup there. So interesting to see what sort of wickets they prepare there this summer. Will they be trying to change that just to accommodate the spinner?
3: Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I It's sort of. Um, cropped up in, in my mind the other day. Um, would we would we turn Etihad Stadium into a, a, a big turning wicket? Um, but I would have thought that with those three very very good spinners, um, they could they could nearly turn it on glass. Um, and if you if you uh, bang up a nice big turning wicket, and uh, the opposition brings a, a mediocre a part time spinner. To the ground, it, you know, a turning wicket turns a mediocre spinner into a great spinner. So, um, you, you're more you're more likely to, to see a, a pretty flat wicket at, at Eddie Haddon and and uh, let the boys do what they do best and, and hopefully take the opposition's bowlers out of the game rather than um, rather than trying to give our our bowlers an extra prong to
2: play with. Now, have you had any counselling? You've got to play with Brad Hogg this summer. He's a different cat. He goes a bit berserk and he's a pretty strong little man. Have you had any counselling how to play with him?
3: Uh, i've I've actually run into him a couple of times and he's he's uh infectious he's very infectious very. Um, yeah and he um he's no he has been good the the couple of times that i've spoken to him and, and he's um uh he's he's always up for a chat and he, he wants to know he wants to know everything about you and and everything that's going on and and he's quite involved in in everyone around him so he's he's been really good thus, thus far and and um you know, i've played against a lot against him in the in the past and it would be good to have him with his skill set um, playing for us, but um, you know, seems like a very infectious character and, and a good person to have around um, a cricket team in general.
2: There's um some pretty ordinary diseases around that are infectious, but in, in Brad's case, um the word infectious obviously throughout the team you'll all he really brings a buoyancy to the team if he gets a couple of wickets or he's there and uh he's he's been he's a fantastic uh, selection for you guys. Um disappointing for you, uh, you formed a pretty good partnership with Scotty Boland, obviously in the one day teams for for Australia and then obviously with Victoria. And I see he's playing for the stars. So you're enemies this uh season.
3: Yeah, yeah, well uh, Scotty's been there for a while and I, I uh I transferred down from the uh Sydney Thunder. Um unfortunately the the year that they, they got rid of me, they won the final. So that you know, <laughs> I don't know I don't know how you want to read into that, but um you know, they've they've reminded me of that a couple of times. But um you know, it's it, it's it's I think that's the greatest thing about these these little derbies and rivalries that we have, um you know the last the last week or so. Um there's been a few stars renegades chats pop up and, and you know, tactics where we sort of separate and go into the corner of the change rooms and start start chatting about how we're gonna handle Scotty Bowling or how we're gonna how we're gonna bowl to, to Luke Wright or K P or, you know, stuff like that. So it's it's um you know, even though we, we are Victorian, we, we are playing together at at, at the moment, um, there are little bits and pieces um, that, that we do sort of still hold back and, and uh, talk about with our Renegades teammates. The other day, actually, with the new ball, um, Cameron White came up to me and said, when you get the new ball in the, in the T20s, make sure you bowl that ball over and over again because we bowled a, a pretty good set to uh, to the opening batsman. And he said, you need to bowl that length at had this year. So you know, it's regardless of where we're playing, it's, still in, it's always in the back of your mind.
2: I mean, we mentioned Brad Hogg infectious, but Cameron White on the other side of the ledger, he's had a tremendous season, and he's calming experience and the word experience with Cameron. um he's having a brilliant season. so what's it like being around him?
3: Uh, I guess Yin and yang would be pretty good with with uh, hoggy and and Whitey, um both both very good leaders, but um two different two different people, I guess uh, Whitey brings a calm to the to the scenario wherever you may be. um. At the moment the way he's been hitting the ball if there' was one like you'd want batting for your life it'd be him because he's he seems like he's hitting the ball as as good as I've ever seen him and um and and really you know really into the contest um something that he's that he's just um it just seems um like he's he's developed um even more so in the in the three years that I've been down here so it's it's been remarkable to see how well he's done the last two years and especially the start of this season but um you know, it'll be it'll be interesting. He, he's obviously a very good white ball cricketer. He's he's um, performing really well with the red ball at the moment. And T20, it's a it's an all a, you know another beast altogether. So um you know I, I I've full faith that he's he's going to lead quite well. Um whether he's whether he's charged with the with the captaincy or, or whether he leaves that up to someone else or um you know with with Aaron Finch being I guess in and in and around the the Aussie a uh, the ODI squad. But um no, I think Cameron White um. You know, one of one of the leaders that, that will really need um, doing his job and doing what he's been doing the last eighteen months for Victoria. We need him doing that for the for the Renegades this year.
2: We've got three Test matches coming up against Pakistan, then four against India. Um, opportunities can sometimes come along. Um, we saw Joe Many get a Test match. Um, how Pattinson's going? How's Cummins going? But with yourself, do you um, do you feel that you're ready for Test cricket?
3: Uh, you're, I guess you're ready when they tell you you're ready. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure, what, um, what sort of cake I'd be biting into if I said I'd, I'm ready for Test cricket. So, um, I, you know, I, I guess, uh, I, I'd love the opportunity. Um, every every player would, and and, um, you'd love to, to, you know, get as far as you can in this game, um, before the end. So, you know, Test cricket's the pinnacle, and and you want to get there eventually, but, um. To say that you're ready, um, I guess it's a, it's a very naive comment because I've, I have no idea what what to expect getting to um, getting to Test cricket. I mean, the ODIs were, were were quite a big step up again, and, and um, Test cricket, um, you know, is is something that that I guess is, is around the corner, but but out of sight at the moment. So, um, you know, it, as a fast bowler though, half the battle is staying on the park. So, um, feel if you if you stay on the park and you bowl well, then and um, you know you're doing all the right things, and and um, you know once you know if you do get an opportunity, make sure you you grab that opportunity and and uh, and do the best you can to to make sure you cement or or you know be a mainstay in in the squad.
1: Well, you do just have to keep uh, your bowling doing the talking, Chris. Uh, always great yeah. to catch up. Uh, I know it's been a, a busy six months or so, as you touched on at the outset. It doesn't get any easier uh with the big bash on the horizon and uh it's an exciting month though so you can look forward to that uh, if you'd like to get behind the Renegades, you can do so at membership.melbournerenegades.com.au as always a great insight into the art of fast bowling chris we wish you well and look thanks forward to catching up down the track
3: thanks very much for having me guys hope to talk to you soon
1: chris Tremaine, there uh victorian bush ranger and melbourne renegade hoggy uh A great talker, a great young man, and uh, he seems to be going places. He seems to be developing as a bowler.
4: Well he was being modest
2: there but I think he's ready Uh, and you could just sense the confidence and he had that little um, go over in South Africa with the Australian team so anything can happen this summer with seven test matches and and if they keep going into test matches with only four bowlers we'll see fast bowlers breaking down so opportunities could be there galore and and it sounds like he's
1: confident bowling really well for the Vicks so he's ready. Well we're going to continue the fast bowling theme on the other side of this break. Andy Bickle to join us. Amazing Hoggy you come into the building we don't speak to spinners we you don't speak to batsmen. It's always fast bowlers.
2: Well, I don't want to speak to keepers either, so I'm happy <laughs> with quicks and Andy Bickle's a beauty. Stick
1: with us on Stumps if you'd like to get involved. one That is the Cookaburra Cricket Open Line. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team cookaburra. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda back with plenty more very soon. <laughs> him over. With pace. Real
0: pace. You're listening to the Stumps.
1: Yeah, great to have your company. Hope you're enjoying the weekend. If you've just jumped in the car, hope you had a win if you were playing cricket today. Tristan Fernanda, my name, Rodney Hogg, is here with me. And before we dissect the upcoming Chapel Hadley series, we've got to get to Nathan Brown, who joins us from sportsbet.com.au. Fantastic app to have a flutter on all the cricketing action. Brownie, good to talk to you. Tell us, what's the landscape like from a punting perspective? Australia taking on New Zealand. Oh, it's even better to talk to you, Tristan. Two of the
6: great men in there, Tristan and Rodney. Hull. You can't get any better than that. Two of the best-looking men in Melbourne, too. Now, the Aussies have been backed off the map here. They opened about a dollar sixty. They're into a dollar thirty-eight now. The Kiwis were two sixty out to three dollars and ten. So all the money on the Aussies, as we know, they're the number one ODI side in the world, haven't been travelling overly well. But the Kiwis are number three. Maybe they're not the same team without Brendan McCullum, but. David Warner, $3.75 for top run scorer. He's in from four bucks. And I reckon Glenn Maxwell's going to want to have a good hit. He's $8 for the top run scorer in the first dig. And Steve Smith's always in there. He's $4.33. You can get 3.75 dollars for Kane Williamson to be the top run scorer for the Kiwis. And we also have a mega bet on this, on this uh, game. Mitchell Stark to take four wickets or more. That's going to pay $6. Four wickets or more, $6.00. He averages four wickets against the Kiwis. He gets those left armers just beautifully in there. And uh, he's best ever. He's 6 for 28 against the Kiwis. So it makes for a really good form line.
1: Well, Hoggy's getting very excited about that. Stark to take four or more wickets at $6, sportsbet.com.au. Looking a little further ahead, uh, the Australia-Pakistan Test Series. What can you tell us about the lay of the land there?
6: I am just going to...
1: Just seem to have lost... I'll
6: bring up the Test Matches... uh...
1: Uh, Nathan Brown with us from sportsbet.com.au here on Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda. And uh, Brownie's going to shed some light on Australia and uh, Pakistan, <laughs> which gets underway uh, in about 12 days' time.
6: Yeah, it does. So the Aussies are $1.53, Pakistan 4 Pakistan four twenty five, And uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think Pakistan are the number one ranked or just about up there at the moment. The draw is $5.50. So, uh, and uh, look... Uh, It's uh, pretty short for the Aussies, the way they've been playing. But I wouldn't have thought, Hoggy, and and you'd be better off to tell us about that, whether Pakistan can handle the Australian conditions or
2: not. Well, I'm still wanting that six six bucks on Stark. How good's that? Um, Pakistan have come off uh, being disgraceful over New Zealand, so you wouldn't wouldn't be betting
1: on uh, Pakistan. Anything else before we let you go, Brownie? Uh, Anything
6: else? Uh, We've got A-League on... Tonight and tomorrow. So we've got the A League, we've got Melbourne City playing the Brisbane Raw. Melbourne City at dollar ninety one. 91. Brisbane Raw have had some money. They've been three ninety into three seventy five. And you can get Bruno Fornaroli first goal at four fifty or Timmy kale He's at eight dollars. And then uh, tomorrow, Adelaide United, they need a win. A dollar seventy five up against Wellington Phoenix, four hundred twenty five. Adelaide winless so far this year, but you might recall last year they were terrible for the first eight rounds. Then they won forty in a row. Then they won the championships. But They do have a little bit of a personnel issue down there. So Melbourne City, 191. The Brisbane Raw, 375. The cricket's going to be fantastic tomorrow. Just Mitchell Stark, $6 for four (laughs) wickets. That's the mega bet. Get onto it and gamble responsibly.
1: Good on you, Brownie. Nathan Brown there from sportsbet.com.au. And uh, Hockey, you're just uh, having a fiddle around on the sports ban app as we speak. Uh, juicy odds there for Mitchell Stark. Well,
2: when he says gamble responsibly, what uh, you're only allowed to put five bucks on Mitchell Stark? What no, if I bet wanted...
1: within your means. Well, so, what if I want to well, bet outside a, my for means? For a bigwig like you, Hoggy, it might be 100? a little bit higher than five dollars. Hundred. Well, I'm not sure, but uh, it's just most important that people do gamble responsibly if having a bet now. Little is known about the New Zealand squad. They've got a few players out, but uh, Kane Williamson, one of their stars, uh, spoke openly about uh, the talent within the squad. He thinks they can beat anyone. Let's have a listen to Kane Williamson. Thanks to ESPN Crick Info.
7: Australia are a very good team. Uh, We know that, Um, but the focus is for us to play our best cricket, Um, and if we do that, we know we can beat anyone, and it's important we do that to give ourselves the best chance in this series. Um, Like I said, it's, it's also important we focus one game at a time um, and look to get better throughout the series, and hopefully that gives ourselves the best chance to to get the results. Something nice about playing at home, and now we're over here, in Australia obviously you know these conditions very well. So um, it's certainly an exciting uh, three-game three series, um, albeit it's very short, but um, the, the side's looking forward to it. Um, coming off the back of a, a win at home not so long ago, so... It is important again that we adapt well because the conditions will be different—a um, a slightly different look Australian side from the one that was perhaps at home—and um, we'll have to be at our best. Like I say, when you play at home, you you know the conditions well, and uh, half the, well. There's a number of uh, New South Wales players in this side, so they've played a lot of cricket here. Um, that's one of the things we'll need to adapt to. Um, there's one short side and uh, long straight, long on on the other side, and um, I think you know it probably comes into um, stopping twos in the field and running twos when you're batting and looking to um, assess those conditions as best you can. So the ground size, the pitch, the opposition will come into that. Now, I suppose it's hard without having a huge amount of preparation for series these days. You you sort of come off the back of one straight into the next and you're, you're pretty much um, right in the now in terms of how your preparation is and you don't tend to look too far ahead and um, you always want success, and that's no different in this series, but we're certainly not looking at Game 3. We're looking right now, and we want to be playing our best cricket and making those adjustments as quickly as we can in order to do that.
1: New Zealand skipper Kane Williamson there, Hoggy. Kane,
2: you're kidding yourself, son. No preparational Superstar Kane Williamson. No, it's an absolute superstar, but got no chance to win in Sydney at all. They've de- on the 29th of November, they knocked over Pakistan in New Zealand with a red ball. I don't know how many blokes are travelling over in that squad, but no preparation at all. Go up to Sydney, no chance at all. New Zealand, Mitchell Stark, $6 that apparently. That
1: from the Aussies' preparation how, Hoggy? Preparation, well, we're in
2: our own country, for starters. Yeah, but in
1: terms of preparation, the Aussies have been doing the same. Oh, well,
2: they don't have to travel as far. <laughs> no, they know Sydney Creek round better. No, no no chance New Zealand. Though. But if they, we, we, um, they've been on the booze for, um, for three days celebrating beating Pakistan. That's not very good. Pro- we haven't been celebrating too much this summer. We wouldn't be on the booze. They're the consummate professionals. Six bucks dark. So very apparently. much
1: looking forward to the Ooh. opening encounter. Australia taking on New Zealand tomorrow in Sydney. Right around Australia, this is Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda. Hope you've enjoyed your Saturday. To those leaving us, have a great weekend. Uh, To those in Melbourne, stick with us. A whole lot more on the way.